0: this episode. The word insight is, is bandied around, I would say, pretty indiscriminately, Sean. Why should they listen to you and your fans? the idea of some special insight. Mm. And stories, of course, pay, play a, you know, a tremendous role.
1: Insight is when you unexpectedly come to a better story. If you force people to tell the truth, they will lie, but if you allow them to lie, they
0: will tell the truth. Often these major insights come with little anecdotes that aren't true, but they help us remember the, the truth.
1: Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everyone. I'm Sean Callahan, and I'm joined again today by Mike Adams, my colleague, the man who runs our story-powered sales business, Hey, welcome, Mike. Good to see you. Good to have you on the podcast again.
0: Two in a row. Thanks, Sean.
1: (laughs) Yes, well, you know, Mark is now making his way across uh, Queensland. I think he's getting close to the Northern Territory. He'll be in that desert soon, uh, totally out of any sort of signals for telephones. So I think that should be good. But today we wanted to talk about insight. We have been chatting about this uh, before the session and... And we wanted to sort of share with you an insight story and just you know delve into you know the I guess the role stories play in in uh, helping people find and 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 share their insights and get them accepted right yes so that's that's a really big part of it Yes. now so in terms of insight for you I mean what does it what does it mean for you Mike, yeah you know, how um- you how do you think about it.
0: In the in this the B two B sales world, uh, the word insight is is bandied around. I would say pretty indiscriminately, Sean. Yeah. Uh, and I um I really like the the definition of commercial insight from um, from a book called The Challenger Customer. Uh, Brett Adamson and and Mark Dixon wrote uh, along with a couple of uh, colleagues wrote this book um, about ten years ago. And they talked about commercial insight as something that your company, the vendor company, understands about the client's market or their business that the client doesn't really appreciate. But if they did, it would be to great benefit to them. If you take that definition, then it stands to reason that insights, true insights are fairly rare. And that, because most of our clients understand their business quite well, they understand it better than we do as as suppliers to them. And therein, of course, is one of the problems with with conveying insight is that since your client rightly believes that they understand their business well, why should they listen to you and your fancy idea of some special insight, you know? And how should you communicate that in a way that, that they would get it? that they would understand that because insight necessarily means a new way to look at the world or what I prefer to say, a new explanation, a better explanation of what's really going on. Mm. And stories, of course, pay, play you know, a tremendous role there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Of course, it reminds me of Gary Klein, his definition, which is uh, insight is when you unexpectedly come to a better story.
0: Yeah, jump it's essentially to a an explanation, story.
1: a better explanation.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he means explanation in that, you know, and, and but he, it's curious that he uses the word story, isn't it? Because inevitably there is a story associated with it, isn't there?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, he's, he's literally, I think, making the point that, you know, we all have these stories going through our head which have all these cause and effect connections. And yes, now you see things one way and then sometimes in an instant, you will flip and see it another way. But, um, you know, I guess that's what these insight stories are all about. But I did want to ask you the question, Mike, why would our listeners want to tell
0: an insight story? Right. Well, um, I mean, I might I might explain that from the point of view of a sales team first and then you yeah. might have, a, have your own idea in terms of leadership and strategy. But one of the biggest hurdles for a revenue team is, how do I even engage? How, how do I even start to have a conversation with a potential buyer about products and services? We develop these wonderful products and services. We believe they're of value. We can't even get started. We can't even have a conversation. And so talking about our products and services puts us in a very poor category of just someone trying to sell me something, right? Yeah. But if I can engage with a with a potential buyer around insight. And we can have a discussion about some new ideas that could really help our client. It's instantly a relevant, relatable topic. So salespeople love the concept of insight because it's something that we can talk about that can move both our companies forwards. It's it's a way to engage in an area of new business. How would that fit with your view?
1: Yeah, I mean, as you were saying that, I was just thinking is... Uh... Is it a kind of uh, type of success story in some ways? Like, hey, here's an right. insight. Here's an insight that we had, um, which would really inspire the listener to go, "Oh, gee, these guys have insights. They can help us with their insights," and therefore, it's almost like a, a knowledge success story.
0: Yes. If, so when we have a kind of, but I think I characterize them differently because. Yeah. Um, well, we define a success story as, as, as another cli- the story of another client succeeding, maybe succeeding with our new insight, right? Right. But if, if we already got to that stage, I would just tell that, that success story because we've already proven our insight. I think when we have true insight, the problem is even earlier than that. The problem is before our first success, how do we prove that this insight is true, and maybe a good example here would be one that you and I both wrote about in our books, actually, which is the story of um, Barry Marshall and Robin Warren and yep. the insight that they had into the, the cure for stomach ulcers. Shall I yeah, briefly share tell that, that story? one? Yeah, that'd
1: be good. I, I
0: use this story often when I'm talking about insight because I think it it has several really important aspects. Yep. So back in the early 80s, um, uh, Barry Marshall was a registrar and actually master's uh, student. At the uh, the royal perth hospital and he was looking for a project to work on and he was directed to some work that um, that robin warren was doing you know in the basement labs at the hospital and and he had this they had this hypothesis that stomach ulcers were caused by a specific bacteria the, the bacteria is called h pylori and um and at the time the prevailing wisdom was no stomach ulcers are caused by stress and it was thought that actually bacteria can't even Grow in the acidic, um, you know, part of the stomach. You know that you couldn't have bacteria there. Right. So this was a an unpopular idea, and um, they had been trying to um, to to see if they could get stomach ulcers going in in pigs and and mice in other animals to test their theory, and, and unsuccessfully, and and in frustration, Marshall decided that he would um, do an endos- endoscopy of his own stomach. Um, and then infect himself from an infected patient, uh, stomach ulcer patient, and give himself stomach ulcers and then treat himself with the antibiotic to that bacteria that they'd identified. And uh, the paper they wrote on that particular experiment, of course, got very wide coverage and and publicity because it's quite a stunt. Uh, But the upshot is that uh, Warren and Marshall won the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 2005
1: not a bad stunt to do and uh, i believe his his wife was very unhappy with him
0: <laughs> i can imagine yeah i can imagine so you know what i like about that story is that it it highlights the problem with true insight true insight is not that easy for everybody to understand if it was it wouldn't be an insight so this new explanation of the cause of stomach ulcers didn't seem right to the establishment it seemed wrong and so how to communicate that and they communicated it with a stunt that became a story in fact they triggered a story
1: yes that's right. that got that's told
0: speaking. throughout the medical establishment that essentially passed that information so they they educated the medical establishment through the creation of a story if you like but we don't have to be quite so brave what i say is that if we tell the story of how we discovered it, you know, the Eureka story, if you like, of how we discovered that insight. What we're doing is we're taking the listener on that journey that we took in discovering the insight. So we're taking them from that mind that doesn't get it to the mind that got it in a very careful way that follows that, you know, how did we discover it? Rather than just delivering the insight, you know, we have this terrible habit of just blurting out, what then sounds like just an opinion, you know, you should be doing this. This is the, our insight. Yeah. And that's hard to accept.
1: That's right. It's like, um, you know, if Barry Marshall stood up there and just sort of said, bacteria causes ulcers. Yeah, if he did
0: that, yeah, he's laughed yeah. out of the place. Yeah. Right? In fact, out of the room. that paper wasn't published, the, 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 the one that just tried to assert it.
1: <laughs> is it? Yeah. How interesting.
0: It reminds mm-hmm. me
1: a, a friend of mine um, did his PhD in uh, palynology, which is the, uh, the science of collecting pollen, ancient pollen from, uh, you know, peat bogs and things like that to be able to map uh, vegetation patterns over thousands and thousands of years. And he did his work up in Papua New Guinea, and he discovered that Papua New Guinea was doing, you know, agriculture way before Mesopotamia, right?
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: And he also got laughed out of the conference, (laughs) you know, when he presented it. And maybe he would have... um, done a bit a little bit better if he told a bit of an insight story you know um, mm. rather than just lay out the you know the new the new idea that he had so yeah you're right it, 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 people are resistant aren't they to Terrible, something that goes resistant. against your your background books you know this is the thing
0: exactly and and this also points to the problem that entrepreneurial companies have you know entrepreneurial companies usually come into the market with a new idea that seems wrong or seems like it won't work. Otherwise other companies, otherwise everyone would be doing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so and so they have this problem of, you know, how do we communicate our insight to the market? And, and most of them don't think in terms of like, how would I tell that story, the story of how we got this knowledge? Because they, they often don't have, you know, a good definition of an entrepreneurial company is they don't really have success stories yet. You know, they're still in the process of proving out their idea. Well, they should have an insight story. And if they know, if they learn how to tell that insight story and if they they do a good job, then they can, you know, they can help their potential market understand what they're on about. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and there's a lot of business failure through failure to understand this.
1: You know, know, Mike, I was listening to the radio the other morning and um, uh, the commentator was just made a comment about Facebook. They sort of said, internally in Facebook, there's a phrase that is, is, is shared quite often, which is, data wins arguments, right?
0: <laughs> I know, would disagree yes. with that.
1: <laughs> well, that's my point, and that was, you know, I heard that, and at the same time, as we know, here in Australia, we have two states uh, which have access to the same health-related data around COVID, and yet they're taking quite different approaches to dealing with that. That's right. It, right? So it's, yes. not, it's not the data that's the thing no. that's helping people understand the insight. It's the story that goes around that, right? Correct.
0: Uh, it's the better story, the better explanation. Yeah. And I was thinking, Sean, we might talk about something that I know is very, very close to your heart. Uh, one of your pet's um, historical subjects is Charles Darwin. Oh, yes. And, uh, and in my opinion... Darwin no came up with one of the greatest insights in the history of humanity, you know, if not the greatest insight, which is the, the theory of evolution. Yeah. And, um, you know, 160 years on, 170 years on, people still struggle to understand that insight. In fact, it's gone through phases, hasn't it, of, of acceptance and, and non-acceptance. But, well, I think um, among
1: scientists, it's very well accepted, right? So it's very well accepted. I don't think, well I don't accepted, think, I don't think that's, that's changed. Years. Uh, And there has been lots of evolutions of it. But you've got to remember, too, that even that insight, um, of course, there was a a simultaneous discovery of that insight because you've got Alfred Russell Wallace, by the way, our cat is named Wallace.
0: um, (laughs) I knew you were a fan.
1: (laughs) uh, Also, uh, you know, sort of outlined... uh, his, his theory, which was very close to Darwin's. So it's interesting how these things can coalesce in different places at the same time. Mind you, the div- big difference was that Darwin kind of knew that this was going to be hard to get across the line. And so he spent more than 10 years, probably like 15 years, just collecting and getting together and describing all the information that he got from his Beagle journal journey. And then went on a deep dive. He didn't expect it to be a deep dive, but he ended up doing this deep dive on um, essentially the, um, on barnacles, right? Yes. He ended up writing a four volume treatise on on barnacles. And because he knew that he needed to be an absolute expert and see something in one species from beginning to end to be able to show this change. Um, yeah, maybe the, maybe this comes back to you know the, the 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 idea that Facebook had, which was data wins arguments, right? So he had the story, but he wanted more data to win the argument. Which and maybe that's yeah, a, see, I, way I would of take about a,
0: it. a take a different view on that. Uh, you know, in a sense, in a sense, in the in the mid eighteen hundreds, the world was swimming. In data and evidence that evolution was true. I mean, there's absolutely no shortage of data. There wasn't really a need to collect more data. The thing that was missing was the unifying explanation. The unifying explanation is unbelievably straightforward and simple. But then then Darwin had Barry Marshall's problem. How How do I persuade anyone? Right? So, So then he took that deep dive into a particular species and showed exactly how it worked. But the problem wasn't existence of data. It's just like stacks of data. And I think actually we overblow this sort of big data idea in the world. What we're short of is really good insights and really good explanations. And, And that is one of the greatest explanations ever created by a human and it wasn't through shortage of data it was darwin's desire to to make his explanation stick to make it accepted that was his issue and that is yes. the business issue that we have as well how do we get people to understand our insight you know
1: and i thought the other thing too uh, to be mindful of is you know he used a lot of different tactics to help it get yes. stuck. right so for example the first you know number of chapters in his book are around you know, poultry and pigeons and, you know, essentially the uh, artificial selection process that we have to breed, you know, various crazy pigeon um, uh, varieties, for example, Mm. you know, that were Mm. very popular in the 1800s. Because everyone was aware of that. They'd seen it like it's part of their experience. It's almost like this idea of using analogies you know, these story analogies so that people go, oh, yeah, it's just like that. I yes. can see what this is This is
0: yes. what he's saying here.
1: Um, so I think that becomes almost like you end up with a repertoire of insight stories, don't you?
0: Today, if you went into the, you know, grade seven high school, I think you would find stories of, of his, his trip to the Galapagos Islands as the as the story that pulls together the ideas you know noticing the variations that went from you know very short distances from island to island
1: yes and
0: yeah. um, and that probably isn't correct and and i was kind of curious that quite often we get a good explanation a good insight and the story that gets told is kind of like a false story but but it's somehow the story that you need to hold the new idea with i mean the the apple falling on newton's head almost certainly never happened right but right
1: you but know, it's a great easy, story.
0: Easy great to little story. You remember the inverse square law of gravity, right? So um, it's, uh,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, but it's a, it's, a, it's a mental placeholder, if you like, of a story that helps you point to a, the inside.
1: Well, I think, you know, with the, you know, his discovery on the Galapagos is a classic example because, you know, when he was collecting up, you know, the different birds across those islands, you know, he was tagging, he didn't tag them all that well. Uh, for Inches example, was it,
0: wasn't it that he was collecting? Yeah, that's
1: right. He yeah. didn't really know that, you know, he didn't really know what he had, actually, because what happened was right? he, he, you know, when he got back to London, he got uh, John Gould, you know, famous ornithologist at the time, uh, to identify and, and Gould came back to him and sort of said, um, you know, look, actually, you have 14 different, you know, uh, subspecies here of uh, a broader species and, you know, for different islands that, you know, and so he started through a little insight that he got from Gould that he started mm. to go, oh, okay, something's going on here. Right. And, you know, he had one of his first inklings of the how things were different it was actually in Australia where he was uh, took a, a trip out to the blue mountains and uh, he was sitting next to a pond and he saw a platypus. And he thought, my God, <laughs> what in the hell is that? And um, unfortunately, in those days, the, the way they would examine it is to shoot the thing. So right, of they, they shot the poor old platypus um, but had a closer look. And he goes, gee, this is so much like a water rat. And then he thought to himself, because he was still a, a Christian believer at that stage, um, yes. he was thinking to himself, so why would God have essentially the same animal in essentially the same type of environment but in different locations. Like, what's that's all that right. about? So he wrote and, down in an his diary and it was like, question mark, like, what's going on here? Um, so this is where insight builds up and creeps up on people. Right? Yes. He didn't have a flash of insight. He had a, a build-up of insight over time. Mm. So I think that's, that's a, another type of insight that we can talk about. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes, so of coming back to... Um, to business insight, which I guess most of our listeners will be will be thinking about now. Yeah. You know, thinking about, you know, what is it that their business really has in the way of insight? And how are you communicating it at the moment? Um, and, and you know, so Klein says, you know, a jump to a better story, a better explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then the story behind that jump is really the communication tool that's really worth thinking about. Because once once you appreciate that, by definition, your insight isn't that obvious to anyone else, then you're really on the hunt for a communication tool, a communication method, I think. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Well, I think, um, you know, the... Uh, Barry Marshall's story is one that people can put in their back pocket. Um,
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, think,
1: I think it's a great story to illustrate that story-triggering idea that, you know, sometimes yes. to get people on board, you have to do something remarkable, right? Remarkable yes. enough that you're going to give yourself ulcers until you can give yourself a cure. Um, but good leaders do that all the time. They do symbolic actions, right? And so, like, imagine you're in a, a team, uh, project team, and you're trying to get the organisation to, you know, understand what you're about or accept a new idea. Telling the Barry Marshall story is one way to do it, but it might actually be a better just to, insp- by telling your team the Barry Marshall story, you can sort of say, hey, guys, what can we do to trigger a new story? That's right. Right?
0: What's, what's, what's our stomachache Um Trigger event, you know, that's uh, yeah, that w- yeah, exactly that would so, demonstrate what we know. Yes, so that that think, would be a
1: good use of that story,
0: yeah. And and there's a there's a deeper reason, I believe, also to do with um, when we don't know something, when there is knowledge that's outside our our current understanding, which is our bias situation, they don't understand our insight they need to create that in their mind. They need to build that in the mind. It's You can't just accept a straight answer, right? We have to create the reasons in our mind. And the story is what will allow them to do that and allow them to create that in their own mind. Yeah. So in other words, they need to be co-discoverers of the insight, in fact. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, it's interesting you say that. Uh, this afternoon, I'm running a, a workshop with a group of um, management consultants, uh, partners in a, a large firm. Mm-hmm. And they want to do a, a communication to their team about, you know, where they've got to on their strategy and what they're going to do next, et cetera. Um, and I thought rather than, you know, just sort of trying to create the communication that we would go through a, just a simple timeline process to help them almost like create the story in their minds about what's happened, right? And, and asking them the question around, so what's significant? significant here, you know, like what does what really stand out in terms of what's good, but also what we haven't achieved, you know, what did we you know trip and stumble on? Because as we know, a good story is not just all things about great things happening. You got to have problems along the
0: way. Correct. It's um, about problem solving.
1: Yeah. And so that reflection process is is really the the process in which they're creating the story, right? Like, I can go off and write a story, you know, that's fine. But it, my experience, it doesn't have much impact in an organisation because they don't own it. No one owns it, right?
0: No, that's right. And um, and that comes back to relevance, I think. Yes. So stories are, revel- are relevant in the context of a problem that you're trying to solve. Um, so... You know, the fact that you've gone away and developed some story about something, if that's not relevant to the listener, to their current problem situation, then you might as well not tell it, right? Same when we were talking about success stories in the last podcast, we didn't score that success story, uh, the one I told about the Panama Canal. No. Um, But... But my view is it could have a score from one to 10, depending on relevance. You know, it's it's very relevant to that company in that situation and would, I think, sell a lot of services for them. And totally irrelevant for some other situation, some other industry situation. Yeah, it's
1: more of a model for how to... That's one of those situations where you hear the story and you go, okay, that's a model of what we need to find for our organisation. Model to find... As as opposed to that's a story I want to tell, right?
0: Sometimes you have a story that you can retell in certain... You could say, if I was in that specific situation, I would tell that story, right? And you would remember it for that situation. But more commonly... We're looking for a story that helps us in a particular problem situation, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Good. Well, well um, I
0: hope we've hope we've shed some light on insight. Yes, and, that's right. Uh, Get thinking stories. about it,
1: and uh, and as you can see, we've kind of uh, diverted from our standard. Uh, structure, if you like, in, in this podcast. But that's okay. Mike and I thought we'd have a, a few general conversations on topics that we're interested in, um, and we'll get back to the more uh, sort of similar way that we've operated when Mark gets back on board in a few weeks' time.
0: Um, well what would you score the Barry Marshall story Sean since you put it in your book and I put it in mine it obviously stood out for us yeah
1: I, I'm, I love that type of story I mean for me it's um, a story uh, that is easily told and I get to um, you know sort of practice my uh, Latin with uh, names of bacteria yes, not, yes, not, yes. not an easy thing to do and no. the <laughs> and the other thing is um, yeah it's 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 a good Australian story as well. So uh, from that perspective, I love it. So, you know, I give it an eight, eight out of 10. It's a, it's a highly rated story for me. What about you?
0: Yeah, I think I would give it an eight or maybe an eight and a half. Um, Yeah. I I love stories that are examples of triggering. uh, And most of them are what, what we call value stories. Most of them are behaviors. And I guess Barry Marshall displayed a certain behavior, which is I'm going to get to the bottom of how to communicate this problem, right? I'm determined to communicate this great idea that we have. So there is a value within this as well. He's, he's demonstrating to maybe another researcher, how you might need to behave to get your idea across as well. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I, so I really love story triggering examples because, because they do work, you know, they travel from place to place. You know, I tell it, someone else tells the story. it, it it does serious work. That kind of story.
1: I do have one inside story that always pops in my head when I think about the topic, and that is uh, around a, a toothpaste manufacturer. Have you heard this one about the, you know, the production line, and they they, ah, yes. they quickly work out that sometimes the, the boxes.
0: The story, but tell it quickly.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But this goes back to the point that you made before about. You know, a story doesn't have to be true to have truthiness. If it makes, yes. Right? And, and so uh, it, just for our listeners, and I might have already told this on the podcast, so apologies if I have, uh, but essentially there's a production line uh, of, you know, boxes of toothpaste. But unfortunately, every now and then, the actual tube of toothpaste doesn't get in the box, right? So they ship out boxes that are empty. This yes. is a problem. Not great for customer service, right? And, and so they engage some consultants to look at a process that's going to stop this, and uh, the, proce- the consultants come up with a weighing kind of mechanism to weigh the boxes as they go across the line. And um, if a box goes across the weighing the, the scale uh, without the tube in it, an alarm goes off, there's flashing lights, and you know, the people on the line can just pull those boxes off. And they were measuring it, all this, and they were sort of seeing that, you know, on a fairly regular basis. These empty boxes would turn up. And then all of a sudden, as they were looking at the data, there, there was no empty boxes. It was just 100% full boxes every time. And So they went down to the, the factory floor to find out what, what was going on. Well, the guys on the factory floor had assembled a, a massive fan that blew across the conveyor belt. And of course, it just blew the empty boxes away before they even got to the, <laughs> yes. the, the, the scale. And uh, when they asked the factory workers, you know, so why did they do that? And they said, well, that alarm that kept on going off was just bloody annoying. You know? <laughs> so, so they came up with a solution uh, far, cheaper, with far cheaper, far um, cheaper than the uh, solution developed by the uh, consultants as well. Now,
0: not, not just cheaper, but obviously better because you didn't need to respond to an alarm. It just pushed the bad boxes off the conveyor belt. Right? That's so it.
1: Indeed. Exactly. A now, I'm sure, like you said, I'm sure this is a um, uh, yeah, a made-up story.
0: Right? Possibly apocryphal story.
1: An apocryphal yes. story. However, it has uh, some truth in it in terms of this idea of, hey, sometimes we over-engineer solutions. Uh, maybe we should ask the people at the in the factory floor what they think. You know, So there's these truths built into it. I remember um, working with Dave Snowden back in the IBM days uh, and he had a, a phrase which was, you know, if you force people to tell the truth, they will lie, but if you allow them to lie, they will tell the truth. And and I kind of I kind of believe there's some truth to that, right? You sort of, you sort of yes. see it coming out in, in different
0: interactions. We don't like coercion and, um, yeah, we can lead our listeners to their own discoveries rather than force them on them as well. And while you were telling that uh, fan story, uh, I was thinking about a story from my oil and gas days um, that I think has an an untrue story associated the story went that um, one of the um, supply boat captains used to used to dock very often at EcoFisk platform, which is a Norwegian oil production platform in the North sea yeah. And back in the early 1980s, and he'd noticed that year after year, as he was doing it, the peg that, he's, that he put, he rested his hat on, his hat on when he was going to work, was getting lower and lower. And that, how could that be? You know, the tides weren't changing and 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 what he had discovered was that Ecofis platform was subsiding into the ocean. And I don't think that story is true, but it's true that Ecofis platform was subsiding into the ocean because of right. production from uncompacted limestones 3000 meters under the ground. And eventually um, the oil company, which was ConocoPhillips had to build a, a dam all the way around that, that uh, platform to stop it being inundated by waves. So, you know, the, the little um, story points to the insight, you know, there's something happening that people hadn't thought could happen. Uh, and, you know, an explanation.
1: Yes. That's right. It is funny, too, that um, you know, sometimes a, uh, you know, a fallacious story just sticks in your mind. And you can't get rid of it because it just seems to explain things so well, even though you know it's not true,
0: right? Absolutely. Uh, and, and that is the realm of fictional stories that have, you know, I'm thinking of some of the great works of fiction that I've read that have fundamental human truths in the plot structure in what happens to the characters. But of course, the actual story probably didn't happen to any one individual. Nonetheless, really important information is is passed in that story.
1: The one I always brings to my mind is um, when I was in Washington DC a number of years ago, I was given a a tour of Washington DC and all its monuments. Uh, by oh, yes. one of the great uh, story practitioners, a gentleman called Paul Costello, Australian oh, fellow. Yeah. Lovely fellow lives in uh, Washington, DC. Anyway, he takes us up to um, one of the main hotels kind of close to the white house. I'm just trying to remember the name of it, um, but it's a fancy hotel has been there you know, forever. And yeah, um, He was sort of asked us, you know, where where do you think the word lobbying comes from? I said no idea, and he says, well, he takes us into the lobby of this hotel, and he said, in this hotel in the 1800s, uh, Ulysses S. Grant would set himself up in that corner, and he'd point to this beautiful opulent corner with couches, and he said, those, you know, they would have their their whiskey there and bring out get out the cigars, and and because and because. Grant didn't particularly like the, the White House. He didn't find it very comfortable. Uh, probably didn't have as good of services and things like that. Um, and so the people who came to influence the president would come to the lobby. Right. And in, over time, they became known as lobbyists. <laughs> what a great story. I mean, like I, And then he tells this story and he says, but it's not true
0: right <laughs> you feel bad when that happens don't you That's oh you do so you so ripped off they want it to be true
1: well it was true that grant was there and all that sort of stuff but the word lobbyist had already been coined okay. um, from yeah. from the british house of parliament right so right. so okay. it so people have almost like taken almost like a template of that Story probably from from the UK and brought it to America and given this um, made know, up their
0: own version. Made yes. up their
1: own version, but anyway, it was a nice version, and I, I must admit, I it got stuck in my head. Um, so anyway, that's probably probably where the truth, you know, gets a little bit bent um, in storytelling. Probably has a, a you know sense of truth in it, but is this is where scientists get bent out of shape about anecdotes, right? So.
0: Well that's right and and I'm I'm very keen that salespeople learn to tell scrupulously true stories and and that's yeah. because um, the profession of sales doesn't have a great reputation and neither does polit- politicians neither do they yeah. and so um, and, and and it's easy I think you and I also know like it's easy to find true stories we can always find true stories to make our point and then oh, we yeah. don't have to suffer that accusation that you've just made this story up to make a point so that's it so that's um, it but it is interesting that often these major insights come with little anecdotes that aren't true but they help us remember the, the truth
1: yeah yeah mm. well i think we should wrap things up there mike that's yes, been a wonderful you. conversation enjoyed that uh, thanks everyone for listening to anecdotally speaking and yeah tune in next week for another episode on how to put your stories to work bye for now